0: Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. And the theme for this evening's message is Christ above all. Christ above all, Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I think many of us may come to you this evening calling upon you for grace and help especially during a time of lockdown it's almost like the being cut off from other people it drains us Lord because we were made as your word even teaches it's not good for man to be alone and though we have our families we're also part of a body we're also part of the body of Christ and we we long to see our brothers and sisters. We miss our spiritual family. And we long for that great day when believers will gather on the final day and see you, our Father, in the face of Jesus Christ. And we'll see you face to face, Lord Jesus. As Revelation teaches us, we will see his face. As Jesus taught us, as you yourself said in the book of Matthew, the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. We pray, Lord, that you would please even open our eyes in this moment, in this evening, to go to the Scriptures and to see the truth of the Word and to see God, to see Christ open these truths to us, Lord. And may we become conformed to the image and transformed into the image of Jesus as we see Christ revealed in the Scriptures. Amen. The Word of Faith movement, they have many false teachings, but one of their heresies teaches that God cannot come into this world to do what He wants without our permission. So God gave away His authority over the world to Adam and Eve, and they lost it, and they gave it away to Satan. And then Satan had authority, and Jesus came, to kind of purchase it again to buy it back to conquer satan so that we now have the right in this world and god can only work in the world by our permission i even heard a guy say that personally to me in a restaurant and i said Do you really believe that I said what about what about psalm 115 i really quoted uh, matthew what about matthew 28:18 where jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by who by his father by the Father who controls all things. By God who says in Psalm 115 verse 3, where we read that God is in the heavens. Uh, God, Our God is in the heavens. He, all that He what desires, He does. He does what He pleases. He's in the heavens. Our God is sovereign. He does all that He pleases in heaven, on earth, in the sea, and all their deeps. Psalm 135 verse 4. Uh, God does according to His pleasure among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? That God has put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ and has given Him as head above all things to the church, head over all things. Ephesians 1:22. So Jesus is supreme. Uh, one of my favorite John Piper sermons, I'm just gonna very shortly summarize it, said that, that Christ is supreme over galaxies and the furthest reaches of the universe. He's supreme over the earth from Mount Everest. The highest point on this earth to the deepest and the lowest point in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. He's supreme over plants and over animals, over all weather patterns. He's supreme over sickness and health. He's supreme over all countries and governments and armies, terrorists. And he's supreme over politics, over media, news, entertainment, sport. Over leisure, he's supreme over schools, universities, science, research. He's supreme over business and finance and transportation. He's supreme over the internet and all information systems. And that's exactly what we learn in Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20. Christ is supreme. So let's read Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he's supreme, number one, over the old creation. The old creation, that is verse fifteen to seventeen. And here we see that Christ is the image of the invisible God. So the Father and the Son, it's almost like uh, uh, when I was young at in high school, and I had to go to the office, maybe for my parents to just pay something, and then the lady behind the counter, the lady in the office, she would take a little book um, with this the invoice, and she would write the invoice. And then under the page, underneath, like, put under the page where she was writing the invoice, there was a, a piece of carbon paper, navy blue or black. And the carbon paper would make that whatever she writes on the top paper would be transferred to the bottom paper, the paper underneath the carbon paper. And that's almost an illustration. You can't really illustrate it. It's... We cannot fathom and understand this, but it's almost an illustration of, of the Father and the Son, where the Son, Jesus Christ, is a carbon copy. He's an exact imprint of God's nature, the exact expression of God's nature. Christ is, verse 15, the image of the invisible God, as Second Corinthians 4, verse 4 also tells us. So even as a man, when Jesus became man, Remember when God created man in Genesis 1, he said, man will be created in the image of God, in his likeness. Christ is the, the image of God. Even as a man, he was the perfect image of God, not tainted by sin. But this means more than that. The Greek word here, ekouin, it literally means a replica, a mirror image, an exact reflection of the original And that's why Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. Or he who has seen me has seen the Father. Or the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 can say, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the radiance of God's glory. What are the implications of this? The implications are that every single place in the Old Testament, place in the Old Testament where God appears, so we call those theophanies, uh, where God appears, he makes himself known, either in a cloud or in a burning bush or standing as a man in human flesh, in human appearance uh, in Genesis 18. It's always Jesus, because Jesus is the image of God. Jesus expresses God. Jesus reveals the Father. So in Genesis 3, where, where we see God walking in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. That's Jesus. Genesis 16, God appears to, to Hagar. It's Jesus. Or in Genesis 18, God appears in human form, with two angels also appearing in human form. But that's Jesus, where he appears to Abraham. Genesis 28, where we see Jacob having a dream, and in the dream we see a ladder and angels going up and down in the ladder, and right on the top of the ladder, the highest point, you see God standing. That's Jesus. Genesis 32, a man wrestling with Jacob, that's Jesus. Exodus 3, God appearing in the burning bush to Moses, it's Jesus. Exodus 24, they see God sitting on his throne with a a pavement of sapphire beneath his feet, it's Jesus. Where a man appears, the general of the Lord's army, appearing to Joshua in Joshua 5, it's Jesus. Judges chapter 6 and 13, you see this angel of the Lord not an angel the angel angel meaning messenger not meaning Jesus is an angel like just any other angel Uh, but you see the messenger of the Lord appearing to Gideon and to Samson's parents It's Jesus Uh, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up on his throne it's Jesus Ezekiel sees God on his throne in Ezekiel 1 the son of man It's Jesus Daniel chapter 3 a fourth man Because Daniel's three friends were cast into the fiery furnace, into the burning oven. And then a fourth man appears. And that's Jesus. In Daniel 10, he sees a vision of Jesus again. Because Jesus reveals the Father. John 1 verse 18 tells us that. And then another implication of this is even in heaven then. This is the invisible God, verse 15. 1 Timothy 1 verse 17 God cannot be seen. 6 verse 16. He cannot be seen. He has never been seen and he never will be seen. But in a sense he will be seen. Because we will see him through Jesus. Who is the image of the invisible God. That's why Matthew says we will see God or revelation. We will see his face. Another application from this is. If you want to know God the Father then yes, there are many verses about him you can study. But also make a study of the life of Jesus in the four Gospels. Because Jesus is a replica of the Father, an exact image of the Father. And that, that will really help you, especially if you have a skewed view of God the Father because you had a bad relationship with your earthly Father. And now that's, that's the way you view your heavenly Father. It will help you to study the life of Jesus, to see, oh, that's what the Father is like. And then also it says he's the firstborn of creation. In verse 15, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I remember we were on holiday once in 2009, and close to Warm Baths, Bella Bella, and we were walking in the streets of the town, and there were these Jehovah's Witnesses. And I got into a debate with this Jehovah's Witness, and he tried to convince me from Colossians 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the first created being, because it says he's the firstborn of all creation. Well, that's wrong. He's not the first created being, because verse 16 says, by him all things were created. He's the creator, he's not a creation. And by the way, that's not what firstborn means. Firstborn in the Bible doesn't mean oh it always means you're the first one to be born no in 1 chronicles chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 we see even though reuben is the first to be born the rights of the firstborn didn't belong to him joseph who was second youngest he was the firstborn psalm 89 verse 28 it speaks of the messiah who will be firstborn of the kings of the earth it doesn't mean jesus was the first king on earth So what does it mean when it says he's the firstborn? It means he's the heir, H-E-I-R. He's the heir, he's the one who inherits all things. He's the highest, he's supreme, he's the most important. So the father gives creation to his son as a gift, saying, this is your gift, it belongs to you. Why? Because he created it. So he's the firstborn of creation, verse 15. Why? Because of verse 16. For by him all things were created. It belongs to him. And that means that he's also Lord over your life. Whether you believe in him or not. He created you. He's the firstborn of creation. He's Lord over you. So bow before him. And if you do, he will forgive your sins, and he will share the inheritance with with you. He will give the inheritance as yours. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. It says all things are yours, and it includes even the world. Belongs to you. Romans 8, verse 17. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If you don't bow the knee, well, then he has the right to, to destroy you. And to crush you to powder like a clay pot. Because he created you. And he is over you. And you belong to him. Though you may not belong to him as a child through salvation, you belong to him as a creature through creation. And then he's also the creator of all things, as I said. I remember uh, probably, what was it, a month before lockdown, we went street evangelizing. And I spoke to a Nigerian man, and he argued with me, trying to convince me, Jesus is the creator, but he's also the first creature. Well, that's exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. That's exactly what Arius, the false teacher in the early church, believed. If Jesus created everything, then he is not created. Then he is the true God. God. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 16, by Christ all things were created. End of verse 16, through him, for him. (coughs) John 1 verse 1 and 3 teaches the same. Christ created everything. Nothing that exists. Nothing that was created was created without him. And don't come with a nonsense, Jehovah's Witnesses, to tell us, yes, but Jesus is a God. That is nonsense. Psalm 96 verse 5. Jeremiah 10 verse 11 and 12. Clearly tell us. That no God can create. Only the true God can create. If Christ created everything. Then he is the true God. And it tells us in verse 16. By him all things were created. Meaning he is the fountainhead of. Of the whole creation. All things come from Him. He is the beginning of it all. Revelation three, verse fourteen says the same. He's the beginning of creation. Not being his not meaning he's the first creature, but meaning, it, meaning that everything begins in him. Everything. Verse 16. Things in heaven and things on earth. So that means sun and moon and stars and planets and mountains and, and land and sea, everything in them. Then it goes on, it says things invisible and invisible. So invisible things would include, include atoms and oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen and carbon. And then it goes on to say thrones, dominions, Rulers, authorities, those are orders of heavenly beings. So they were created by Christ. Whether it means fallen angels or holy angels, Jesus created them holy, but they rebelled some of them and they were kicked out and they became demons, fallen angels. But but even fallen angels are included in there because in Ephesians 6 verse 12 it uses similar terms or Ephesians 1 21, and 3 verse 10 it also speaks of different orders of angels so whether they fallen or whether they're holy angels whether they're angels whether they're demons they were created by jesus christ which includes satan although he was created holy he rebelled so jesus jesus is the word through whom the father created by him all things were created he is the word Like you see in Genesis, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. That's the word. God creates by the word. John 1, Psalm 33, 6, Hebrews 11, verse 3. So it's like the Father said to the Son, create this, and create that. And then the Son created it. And then the Spirit came, and He breathed life into it. Psalm 104, verse 30. Job 33 verse 4 speaks of the Spirit bringing life into creation. Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Genesis 2 verse 7, God breathed into Adam. And the word breathe or breath or wind or spirit is the same word in Hebrew. So Jesus created everything. And He he created it, it it says in verse 16. All things were created through Him. So there's the word He's the agent of creation and for Him. So it's created for His glory. It's created to worship Him and to glorify Him. Psalm 148, a whole psalm saying every single kind of creature must worship Him. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. And every knee will bow to Jesus Christ in worship and acknowledge that He is Lord. The angels bow and worship. Hebrews 1 verse 6, oh, all of creation. Revelation 5, 11 to 14, worship the Father and the Son and then obviously also the holy spirit because he's a member of the godhead so so practically this means that we shouldn't worship the creation don't worship creation money don't worship creation. It's stuff that was taken from the ground, metal and copper and gold and silver. Don't worship creation. Don't worship sex. Don't worship your body. Don't worship your self-image and how you feel about yourself and your emotions and food and alcohol and success and your pets and angels like the Colossians were tempted to worship, according to chapter 2, verse 18. Don't worship any creature. Don't make an idol of them. Worship Jesus. Worship the Father. Worship the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus, and if you don't worship Jesus, you will remain empty, and you will have superficial happiness. And your thirst won't be quenched. You'll be like the woman at the well. She worshipped men. She worshipped sex. She worshipped acceptance. Jesus said you'll never quench your thirst that way. You'll remain thirsty. But if you believe in me, if you come to me, if you drink, then you'll find true happiness and fulfillment and peace. In verse 17, we also see that Jesus is before all things. How do you explain color to someone who is born blind? You can't. Try your best. You can't. How do you explain a being that exists outside of time, that has existed for eternity, but not in time, how do you explain that to someone who lives in time? You can't. So we can't understand it when verse 17 says he's before all things. Jesus is before all things. Jesus is before the beginning. Jesus is before Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. And if he's before the beginning, then he's before time. And if he's before time, then he's eternal. He's outside of time jesus is before the beginning he does not have a beginning because he is the beginning of all things jesus even said before abraham was i am taking the divine name i am who i am jesus is the god who has no beginning and no end he has no end hebrews 1 verse 10 to 12 he is the beginning and the end Revelation 22, 13. So what is the only proper response to the eternity of Christ? The only proper response is to worship him and to realize that you're in my intellect, it's too small, our brains are too small. We cannot understand a being outside of time. A second response is that you should fear him and that you should repent of your sin because as long as Christ is eternal, he will hate sin and punish sin in hell. And then also you should thank Him and praise Him because as long as Christ is eternal, He will bless the righteous and He will reward the righteous with eternal life in heaven. And then a final response to verse 17a is don't live for time. Don't live for 70 years on earth. Why not rather spend your whole life preparing for eternity? What does it help you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? You lose your eternal soul. And then also we see that Jesus upholds all things. Verse 17, B, in him all things hold together. So here's a guy in a very big motor accident, and he lands in hospital, and they put him on all kinds of machines to keep him alive. So the machines are really It's the machines keeping him alive. That's how Jesus is. Jesus keeps the whole universe running. Hebrews 1 verse 3 upholds all things by the word of his power. So every heartbeat, every breath of air, every planet in its course, every galaxy, every bird in the sky, Every fish in the sea, or in the rivers of the earth, or in lakes, or in dams. Every single atom is kept in place by Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says that. In Him all things hold together. If Jesus were to withdraw Himself, everything would immediately, instant effect, would disintegrate and die. Psalm 104 verse 29. If he turns away his face, they return to dust. So we must acknowledge Jesus in everything then. And not live as if he doesn't exist. Not live as if you do not need him. You will not exist without Jesus Christ. And then also not subdivide our lives into different compartments. Oh, this is my spiritual life. This is the part of my life that I give to Jesus once a week. And this is the rest of my life that I live to myself. No. Give your whole self to Jesus Christ and live for him because he is the one upholding you. All right, so that's the old creation, number one. Number two, the new creation. He's supreme over the new creation. Verse 18 to 20. So, he's the head of the church. We read in verse 18, just like your brain is the control center of your whole body, tells your body parts what to do. In the same way, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the control center of his body, the church. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Paul says the same thing. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over, the church, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all and then 523 the same so practically what does this mean it means that the pope is not the head of the church no pope no bishop no synod no general meeting no steering committee no pastor or pastor and his wife or elder or congregational meeting is the head of the church none of those are the head of the church jesus is the head jesus controls the body by his spirit in the word. So the elders, what we should do, is we should teach only the word. The word of Christ, saying this is what we should do. There's the control center. Christ telling us to do what to do through his word. By the spirit, helping us to understand and obey. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. The elders who rule well should be worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we rule through preaching and teaching. Christ rules through the Spirit, through the Word, by the elders who bring the Word. And then your responsibility as a member of this church or wherever you're listening to this on the Internet, your responsibility is to test the preaching of the Word. So you open your Bible and you see, is it in the verse? Or is he sucking this out of his thumb? You must test the prophecies. Don't despise them, but test them. And the whole of scripture is a prophecy. So you follow, if it's true teaching, you follow it. If it's false teaching, you reject it. And you shout the preacher down and shout, Boo! Come down! We don't want you! Preach the word! And then Christ is also the beginning Verse eighteen: He's the head of the body. He is the beginning, like the Nile River. It's got its—I uh, can't really call it a fountain head because it's not a fountain—but the Nile River starts. It has its source, its origin in Lake Victoria, and Lake Victoria is fed by other rivers. And Jesus is the same way. Jesus is the beginning, it says in verse 18. So he is the beginning, he is the source, he is the origin of the church. That we were elect before the foundation of the world in Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 4. Christ, uh, Revelation, or not Revelation, Acts 20 verse 28, that he shed his own blood, God shed his own blood to purchase the church. So he bought the church with his blood. So then shut your ears when people say, Oh, the church is just a human institution started by the Catholics. That's not true. Jesus is the beginning. He's the beginning of the church. And therefore you and I should love the church as an institution started by Christ himself. And then he's also the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead, verse 18 teaches. So the Word of Faith, faith movement, uh, teachers like Joyce Meyer and Benny Hinn and Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and uh, charismatic teachers like Bill Johnson, they say that Jesus was the first born again person. So he died and he stopped being the Son of God on the cross. He became sin. And so that means he's... He's no longer the Son of God. He dies. He goes to hell. He suffers in hell, they say. And then he's born again. He's born again in hell. And really when he is risen from the dead. Well, that is a a very wicked heresy, a very, very evil teaching. That's not what Paul means at all when he says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Uh, Jesus is the firstborn. In the same sense, he's the firstborn of creation in verse 15. Meaning, he is the most important. He is the heir. Everything belongs to him. So he's the firstborn. He's the most important of the old creation, first creation. is also the firstborn, the most important of the new creation, the church. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If someone's in Christ, he's a new creation, and that was sealed. That was almost guaranteed when Christ rose from the dead when he was risen from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, to say that now we too will rise from the dead in future. So this doesn't mean he's the very first one to come back from the dead, because there were, there were many before him, three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament, that were raised from the dead before him. So this can't mean, oh, he's the first one to come back from the dead, but he is the first one to come back from the dead, never to die again. Because the people who were raised from the dead before Jesus died again. Jesus was raised never to die again, Romans 6 verse 9. And therefore now he gives this life to us. So we have it spiritually, we reborn, we regenerated, we new creatures, we've undergone the new birth. But also when Jesus returns, because of his resurrection, we too will be raised from the dead. Our bodies will be raised and glorified when Jesus returns. So he's the first fruits from the dead. To ensure the rest of the harvest will come. And that really helps when Christians get the coronavirus or when they have cancer or other sicknesses or when they have pain, experience pain, or they get old and they feel weak and they die. Jesus is going to raise you from the dead because he's the firstborn from the dead. And then he's also the first in everything. It says that he that in everything, in verse 18, he might be preeminent, first place. So if I say, if I say um, my wife is first then I don't mean that she's up first in the morning and when we have a meal she's done first and she's finished her plate of food first that's not what, what I mean when I say she's first I mean she's the most important that's how Jesus is he's first in everything he's first in, the, the, in creation he's first in the church he's first from the dead first born from the dead And do you acknowledge him as such? Do you acknowledge Jesus as first in everything, preeminent, excellent, supreme? Or do you put other things ahead of Jesus, like a man told me just yesterday? I went to buy dog food because it's a necessity. My dog must also eat. And I shared the gospel with the man behind the counter. But the man behind the counter said, yes, there was a time where I really try to serve the Lord, but I don't do so anymore. I said, why not? And he said, because other things have become more important, like addictions. Hmm. Don't be like that, man. Jesus must be first. And if he's not first, repent and turn back to your first love. And then he's also God, verse 19 tells us. He's God. So... Uh, Spiders and bats and rats and cockroaches. They like to live in dirty places. God is the opposite. God wants a perfect dwelling. God wants a clean dwelling, a pure dwelling. And that is why verse 19 says, In Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God is pleased to dwell in Christ, just like in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory. God dwells in the temple in one sense. Psalm 68 verse... Oh, I need to know now. What's that verse? 16? Because I'm following the Afrikaans' references. But nevertheless, it's verse 17, the Afrikaans. And English is always uh, one step behind, I think. Maybe verse 16. But, but Christ is now the new temple. As he even said, and he, as Revelation says, Christ is the temple, God and the Lamb is the temple. So, so the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And this, this full nature, this fullness of God dwelling in Christ also very clearly tells us that Jesus himself is God. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells in Christ. Bodily. And then many verses tell us Jesus is God. Thomas bowed before Jesus and said, my Lord and my God, in worship. Romans 9 verse 5 says he's the true God. Philippians 2 verse 6 (coughs) says that he existed. Uh, He was in the form of God. Chapter 2 verse 6. And he took on the form of man. Titus 2, verse 13, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the exact imprint of God's nature, the, the uh, express image of God's nature. Uh, he's the radiance of God's glory. He is God on the throne, Hebrews 1, verse 8 and 9. 2 Peter 1, verse 1 speaks about God and Savior. John 1, verse 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that fullness of God also now dwells in us, through the Spirit who dwells in us, who lives in us. Ephesians 3 verse 19. The, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that doesn't, that doesn't mean we become God. But it means that the living Christ who is God in His fullness dwells in us by His Spirit. And so because He lives in us and dwells in us. We don't need to fear demons. We don't need to fear people. Don't need to fear the world Because he that is in you, God, Christ, by his Spirit, is stronger than he who is in the world. And you know that helped me personally because I was tempted in the past few weeks to fear Satan. And it helps to remind myself, he who is in me is stronger than he who is in the world, or greater. And then he is the peacemaker, finally, in verse 20. Remember in 1994 they sold white t-shirts with a blue circle and a white dove and it said peace, the world loves peace, the world wants peace, but the world doesn't make peace. Jesus makes peace. Jesus is the peacemaker. How does he make peace and why does he make peace? Well, after Jesus created the world... In verse 16, everything fell. The world was cursed. We call it the fall, the fall of man. Man fell into sin in Genesis 3, and the whole world was cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In Romans 8, verse 20 and 21, it speaks of the whole world under this curse. And so then the Creator became a creation. He became man. He became man and he died as a man on a cross. Verse 20 speaks of making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh, he had a real body and he died by his death, it says. So he he bore the curse. He became the curse. He was cursed for our sin. Galatians 3.13 And he bore the curse to free the whole creation from the curse. So cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth. And then Jesus wears a crown of thorns to show he bears the curse to redeem creation from the curse. So he absorbs the wrath of God upon our sin the wrath that we had to drink the cup that we had to drink he absorbs the wrath of god for our sin just like the kalahari the sandy soil in the desert absorbs water my god my god why have you forsaken me the wrath of god for our sin christ absorbs it, it please the lord to crush him it's for our sin Isaiah 53 verse 10. So now there's no more condemnation. There's no more wrath left. Condemnation left for those who trust in Christ. All we find now is reconciliation, peace, and friendship and restoration through the cross. Verse 20. Through him, to, through him Christ, through him to reconcile to himself the Father all things, whether on earth or in heaven. All things, earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So there you see, it's not only for us. Yes, it's for us, verse 22, reconciliation. But verse 20, it's for all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1, verse 10. Even creation is longing for that day where it will be restored. A new heavens and a new earth. So the gospel is really greater than just just individual reconciliation. Personal reconciliation. It's greater it's for all things in creation not meaning demons also just meaning creation fell through the sin of man and creation will be restored and those who trust in christ verse 20 to 20 21 to 23 only those who trust in christ will receive the benefits and he has restored them reconciled them to himself and yet Even though all creation, the gospel is greater than just just personal reconciliation, even though that's true, that's where it starts. Verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So so what does it help? All creation is reconciled to God. What does it help? The wolf lies with the lamb and there's no more COVID-19 and no more Crime and death and all of that, but you lost and you're in hell forever. What does that help? How how can I convince you? How will I persuade you to turn your back on the world, to turn your back on your sin, to turn to Christ, to take Christ for yourself? What more can I say than I have said? I can only plead with you not to be such a fool. That you would lose this supreme, this preeminent Christ. Don't be like a sailor on a ship. Where you're so clinging to the world's treasures. And you're holding fast. But the ship is sinking. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Hear my prayer, save the lost, encourage the saved, draw back to yourself backsliders, forgive the sinning, strengthen the growing, help the weak, for Jesus' sake, Amen.